We're going to do uh, one of your old favorites for our opening hymn this morning. Gail usually announces the, the opening hymn, but I wanted to tell you why we're going to sing Row, Row, Row Your Boat. <laughs> Some of you haven't uh, heard the story, but there were a couple of young men from Oklahoma that called me one day and said, uh, <laughs> and said, we started reading A Course in Miracles, uh, and being in Oklahoma, we don't have anybody to talk to about it. And can we come to Santa Fe and talk to you about it? And I said, sure. So we met at the Forge restaurant. And as we were sitting there having lunch, one of the young men uh, said, uh, I think God has a message for you. Let me go into the restroom and receive it. I didn't know, I didn't know how they did it in Oklahoma, you know, so I... <laughs> so he went into the uh, restroom, came out, and he said, yes, indeed, there was a message, but it's for all of us. And I said, well, what is it? It's row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. And I had never seen that song that way. Of course, that, it, that song sums up everything there is to know. That we row our boat gently down the stream. There's no need to fight circumstances or people or anything else. That the stream actually does the work because we're rowing gently. It's God's little joke, you see. He said, just roll gently, knowing that you won't interfere if you do that. So you just put your oars, oars in the water. And then there are four merrilies for every three rows. This is very important. <laughs> and then, of course, the great metaphysical statement at the end, that this life is just a dream. So, we are going to... Uh, <laughs> so we're going to have rounds this morning and uh, several of us are going to get up here you can come on up we're, and we're going to do one round this side will do another round you'll be cued John O here will cue this is the guy to watch yeah he's going to, he's going to cue you when to start and then this will be the third round this will be a lot of fun you'll like this and uh, just since it's you're, you're rowing gently, there's no need to stand up for this. Just sit in your chair and row gently. Okay. Okay, this is one group. This is one group over here, and then this is another, and this is another, and that's the order we'll do it. So starting with this huge group here. <laughs> row, row, row your boat. Row, row, row your boat. Rarely, 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 life is not a dream. Merrily, merrily, row your boat, gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is not a dream. Row, row, row your boat, gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is not a dream. Merrily, 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 life is not a stream. Life is but a reading is from the text of A Course in Miracles, page 112. Fear does not gladden, healing does. Fear always makes exceptions, healing never does. Fear produces dissociation because it induces separation. Healing always produces harmony because it proceeds from integration. It is predictable because it can be counted on. Everything that is of God can be counted on 
because everything of God is wholly real. Healing can be counted on because it is inspired by his voice and is in accord with his laws. Yet if healing is consistent, it cannot be inconsistently understood. Understanding means consistency because God means consistency. Since that is his meaning, it is also yours. Your meaning cannot be out of accord with his because your whole meaning and your only meaning comes from his and is like his. God cannot be out of accord with himself and you cannot be out of accord with him. You cannot separate yourself from your creator who created you by sharing his being with you. I thought we'd talk a little bit more this morning about designing your own spiritual program. (laughs) 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 Eventually, the path becomes more important than the proof of the path. In the beginning, we don't know what to do with our faith. We don't know what our faith is for. And there's a great deal of confusion as to what is to come of our faith, of our belief, of our path, of our system. In the beginning, we may uh, call it just a self-improvement program that we just wish to change our life in some way. And then if it's a spiritual path, the change, of course, goes much deeper. And we try to connect with our heart. But often in the beginning, especially at this particular time in our history, there's a temptation to use the mind to acquire things. And this is a very unhappy way to embark on a spiritual path because almost no one who is just beginning a spiritual path is in a position to acquire things with his or her mind. As we've said here so often, you have to be quite far along, certainly further along than I am and anyone that I know of, to manipulate the world in this way. And we've also said that when that state is attained, the desire to change the world fades at the same instant. And so it's a very short period indeed, if at all, that you would choose to manipulate the world. And yet in the beginning, the question is, why have a faith? Why have a belief? Why have a way, a system? A religion is just a way. And as we've said here before, it is not necessary to even have a belief in God in order to begin a spiritual path. Because God is just a word. And it's a word that to some of us strikes terror and some boredom and some it seems just silly. And so there are many people who would not choose to use that word and would not choose to start a spiritual path even using the word spiritual. But they have the hope in peace. They have the hope in harmony and love. This is the starting point when a person begins to believe that love is a possibility, that maybe true goodness exists in the heart of the people that he sees around him. And then this individual begins working in this direction, working on the basis of that belief, of that hope, that there is such a thing as goodness and love and kindness, and there is the possibility of peace, not the possibility of 
peace in which it is being talked about at this particular time, that somehow we're going to eliminate all the weapon systems in the world and that no new weapon systems will come about and that this will be peace because obviously that would not be peace. No one here is afflicted by a weapon system in their daily life. And yet how few of us have true peace. But the belief in the possibility of peace, your belief that you could go through a single day in perfect peace, even though you haven't experienced it. So what is the proof of your faith? What is your faith for? This is a question you must ask yourself or you will fall off the spiritual path shortly after beginning it. If you're not clear as to why you are on a spiritual path, if you're in it to get so-and-so to come back to you or to manifest a particular job or to improve your health or to be popular or to be highly thought of, or a hundred thousand other things that the world holds out to us, then, of course, your path will disappoint you. It will not work with the precision that you thought that it would. There is really only one reason to begin a spiritual path, to have a spiritual program, to embark on a self-improvement regime. And that is because... You believe in the possibility of the peace of God, even if you don't call it that. And so your reward is entering a reality that has nothing to do with what your senses report to you is all that's going on. And I want to assure you that in the beginning, your thought of this your belief in this is so weak that you must really proceed only out of a sort of blind, stumbling faith. Because you haven't yet felt the peace of God. You will say words like, I am one with my sister, I am one with my brother, but you haven't felt that yet. You may even use a word like heaven or the kingdom or a state of perfect harmony, or perfection, or unity, or oneness. But you haven't yet experienced that. It's an intellectual concept. It may be an exciting concept. And many people start a spiritual path because it seems oh so exciting to do this. Everybody's doing it, and there are books on it, and you can go to certain meetings and so you learn the lingo of whatever particular group you're coming in contact with and spend much time in your mind telling yourself that these other people are not on a spiritual path because their lingo is quite different. And always your ego will say, what is the proof to you? How do you know this is any good? What is this doing for you? Please do not believe that it is doing anything for you. Yes, you will be able to walk through life much more happily as you progress on your spiritual path. Your relationships will begin to settle down. Your body will begin to settle down some, perhaps. You will bring a certain sanity that you didn't bring before to your finances. There is a way to walk through the world in a fairly easy, effortless way. But the dramatic sort of self-enhancing, self-gratifying ways that the ego appreciates will not be there with any consistency. So do not ask yourself, what is the proof of your spiritual path? Because the ego is always trying to prove something. Always trying to prove something.
some of you know, Gail and I go to uh, Algancho in the morning to swim. And so this puts me in a men's locker room. David and I have spent, being from Texas, we've spent most of our life in a men's locker room. No, that doesn't sound quite right, does it? Um, and I was listening to the way men talk in a men's locker room. Because you're usually trying to dress very quickly, or you're trying to take your clothes off very casually. And it's very important to talk while you're doing this. This shows that you don't care that you're taking your clothes off, and that it's because your life is so busy that you're putting them on rapidly. And I've noticed that there are two kinds of tones of voice in a men's locker room. I hadn't noticed this until this last time I was out there. There were three people in the locker room beside me, and two of the men were talking like this. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I didn't know what was going on. I thought uh, they were discussing some really terrible event because they were saying, boy, was it rough out there today. It sure was, the other guy said. It was really, really rough. The other guy said, yeah, but it's not as rough as Salvador Perez. God, I didn't know who Salvador Perez was. I thought maybe Sal Salvador Perez was some wrestler. I thought maybe these men were wrestlers or something. You know. And then the other guy. See, there's some guys that know how to talk in a men's locker room. There's some guys that don't. And the guy who didn't said, is that the choo-choo park? You don't, you don't use that language. No. You don't use that language in the men's locker room. One of them said, yeah. Oh, I said, oh, they're, they're talking about the Salvador Perez Park. And then they kept talking like this. And one of them said, uh, well, I, I know I, when, I, when I get through with it, uh, I use corn husters. Corn husters. <laughs> And the uh, other guy said, me, I, it's, it's, it's intensive care. <laughs> and the guy who didn't know how to talk said, I use rose milk. <laughs> and suddenly I realized they were talking about swimming. This is what, this is the rough thing that they were going through, do you see? So we're always trying to prove something, do you see? I... I was quite sure that as soon as they left the men's locker room, their voices would clear right up. <laughs> sure enough, they did. I talked to them one in the lobby, and his voice was just fine since <laughs> he got out there. So this is something to be aware of, that your ego is always trying to prove something. And what it's trying to prove is that the appearance, which it thinks is everything, is not true. And so you find yourself even at odds with your own appearance if you're looking at life through your ego. So whatever you're doing, there's a very large part of you trying to prove that it's not true. And this, of course, is adapted to a spiritual path. Your spiritual path will prove nothing. It will have no benefit. It will have no results. You will learn to do things out of peace, not because of the results that they will bring, but because you wish the peace of God this instant. I know many of you haven't felt the peace of God. And I can only describe it to you in words. And the words, of course, will only triggers some meaning of other experiences that will not be like the peace of God. But let me tell you that when you begin to experience the peace of God, although it will be erratic, quite erratic in the beginning, as we said before, it will seem to come and go as if by magic. But you will never, ever again have any problem with motivation once you have begun to experience the peace of God. Now, what happens is 
that first of all we go along, we're very deeply conflicted because we are totally within our ego in the beginning. And this is, of course, the way most of the world is and always has been, totally submersed in the ego. And so there is tremendous conflict. But this conflict is often submerged. Almost always is it unconscious. Because there is some external goal that seems to be working out at the moment. Something we are pursuing may be a career, it may be a family, it may be a love, it may be getting equipping our body into shape, it may be uh, knowledge, wisdom, we're acquiring great knowledge of uh, literature or science or something else that we think is important. We're rising to the top of our field. We've finally gotten the little uh, farm in the country that we've always wanted. It can be anything, but it seems to be working out. And so the basic unhappiness that surfaces over and over again is not there for a while. At least it doesn't seem to be there. And when it does surface, because whatever we're seeking doesn't quite make it. There's always a reason. And that's how you know that your happiness is deeper than it appears when you begin to see this pattern that there's always a reason for why you're unhappy. And always a change is called for. Now you must change your job. Now you must change your mate. Now you must change your appearance. Now it's not enough to have uh, three children. You have to have four. There's nothing wrong with changing your job. There's nothing wrong with having four children. None of these things are wrong. But the ego, as soon as it feels its basic unhappiness, it immediately says, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And it looks around to see what's wrong. Immediately it begins scanning. Because the ego believes that what is causing the unhappiness is external. It's something that's going on out there. And so one more change has begun. Now, before a spiritual path is started, there must be a certain awareness, a certain level of awareness. You must begin to see this pattern to some degree. You have to begin to weary a little bit of running after still one more thing. Now you begin to question the whole of it a little bit. And many people at this point become depressed or in other ways want to leave the world. They may become suicidal. They may any number of things can happen. Because they see the sort of hopelessness of it all and they stay stuck at that point. But that awareness must come. The nature of this world has to begin to dawn on you. But you cannot stay stuck at that point. But that has to be the beginning point. Now, this is a very good reason why we should never criticize anyone for what they're doing. Because they've either reached that level of awareness or they haven't. If they haven't, they can't help what they're doing. They're just acting out what they've learned to do as they were growing up. And there's no basis for criticism. This is just the stage that they're in. And we, don't, we can't judge the stage. I talk about stages but it's extremely important to realize that we are absolutely not in a position to judge what stage someone else is in because a breakthrough can come at any second and we do not know what will bring about a breakthrough in a particular person's life. And, it can, and the person can be right on the verge of it. I can tell you that every time I have tried to judge someone's spiritual progress, I have been dead wrong. It is a useless activity, and it's an extremely unhappy one. But it is good to know 
that there are certain stages that we go through. And a person has, even, has either reached that stage or they haven't. And the first stage is a certain awareness. This is vision. The person is beginning to see a little bit. They begin to see their part in the misery that surrounds them. Before they didn't see that they had any part in it. Now they're beginning to see a certain, not just an, as an intellectual concept, but they actually begin to see their participation in the little disasters that are always taking place. Begin to see it a little bit. Now, once that has happened, if the person doesn't turn to some form of escapism, such as suicide or drinking or depression or withdrawal or loneliness or something, if they don't retreat into that, catatonia, there are a hundred thousand different ways of retreating. If they don't do that, then they turn to the only other thing they can turn to, and that's their heart. Or their belief in the possibility of love. And this may be religious or it may not. And so the heart begins to open just a little bit. Now there is some motivation because they are beginning to sense, however dimly, the peace of God. And once this happens, no matter what way they choose, they have begun. They have taken the first step. This can be lost in the beginning. There can be many false starts. But the person will keep coming back to it. And pretty soon, they have experienced enough of the peace of God that from this time on, they will never, ever stop walking toward God. No matter how far off the track they get, they will feel this homesickness. They want to get back to God. They want to get back to this peace and this love and this recognition of the innocence of all people. This ocean of innocence that's out there. They want to see that again. They begin to long for it. Not long for it in the sense that they need to do something in the future to attain it, but long for it. Oh, I can have that now. I want that now. You must act as if the truth is true. And you must do this not only on the level of truth, but you must do it on the level of the world. And so we say to ourselves, we discuss people, a very unhappy thing, we discuss people and we, and we say to ourselves what the other person's problem is. But remember, the ego does this in this way. It says, this is true, but it shouldn't be. So, for example, I overheard a comment a while back about a particular person. Uh, we don't need, an, none of it, uh, we don't need a, an ego here because so-and-so has one big enough for all Santa Fe. Now, I heard that, I overheard that comment. Everybody laughed about it. Now, what, in thinking about it, what I realized was I wasn't acting as if that were true. I was acting as if it were true, but it shouldn't be. But if it's true, then what do I do to set off this person's ego? And sure enough, acting as if they shouldn't be at that particular stage of growth, I, were, I was doing things to set their ego off. I was asking questions or having a certain tone of voice or doing a hundred things that would set their ego off to prove that it was wrong. But is the truth true? If I believe that it's true, if you believe that so-and-so is fearful of something, don't just say they're fear fearful. Act as if it's true that they're fearful. So what are you going to do to bring peace to them? To disdain them, to look down on them, is to deny what you even think is true. I feel so confident when I have a list. And I've got a, a list up here of, of uh, ten points of do's and don'ts on a spiritual path. You'll like to whip out your little pads and pencils right now. 
These aren't actually do's and don'ts. I don't know what these are. Sounds That sounds good, though, doesn't it? Do's and don'ts. Well, I have a list of ten points. We'll decide later what, they, what the uh, general connecting theme is. But the first one is that in starting your spiritual path and designing your own spiritual program, which we talked about here last time, it is extremely important that you understand that your ego will assign a shabby motive to anything that you do. This you have got to see. For example, uh, let's say let's take someone who's infatuated and someone who's not infatuated. Now, the person who's not infatuated calls up their friend and uh, they say, Hey, would you like to go to the movie tonight? Such and such is playing. And the friend says, uh, Golly, you know, I was just sitting here. I, I didn't have anything to do. I'm so glad you called. I'd like to do that. What happens four hours later? Four hours later, what happens? Your ego has been working on this conversation. They didn't have anything better to do. Is that why they're going? And now you're mad and you're calling up your friends and you're telling what this person said, you see. Now, let's say you're infatuated. You call up the person you are pursuing unsuccessfully. Hey, would you like to go with me to the movie tonight? No. <laughs> hang up the phone you start thinking about this what happens four hours later you're calling them back did you mean no to the movie or no to me <laughs> don't think about anything after it's happened <laughs> Number two. See how simple it is? You see how we check that one off? Okay. There is no right way to do it. A friend of mine is uh, closely associated with A Course in Miracles started receiving letters from a woman who said that she was receiving guidance about his life and how he should run it. And in these letters, she would detail all the changes that he need, needed to make. And she would boldly sign the letter, Jesus Christ. <laughs> My friend wrote back to her and he said, you know, it's interesting. I've been receiving guidance too. My guidance is that we are not to communicate for five years. <laughs> Don't tell anyone what to do, even in your mind. There is no right way to do any of this. There is a peaceful way for you to do it. And don't you see how that can vary? What's the peaceful way for you to do it? Varies even from week to week, doesn't it? The peaceful way for you to do it a year ago is not the peaceful way for you to do it now. But there is a peaceful way for you to do it now. And it is pointless to recommend this particular way to anyone else. Whether to accept uh, invitations to parties or do you go on this diet or that diet? Where do you live? Do you live in town uh, on a block with other people or do you live out where there's very few people? And how could, There's no way of answering that. But there's a way of answering for you now. Number three, let go of the mistake quickly. I had just such a mistake happen to me recently. I, I did another wedding. Uh, this one was out at Sunrise Springs. And uh, it was an intimate sort of affair. Uh, both families had come from other parts of the country, and they were sitting very those of you who've been out of Sunrise Springs, it was right over that little pond kind of area, that little balcony sort of thing. Both families were sitting there. 
finish the service, looked down, and my fly was unzipped. <laughs> it's interesting how the ego works. Why did my ego pick then to look down? <laughs> On some level, my ego knew that my fly had been unzipped for a long time, but now it said, look now. There wasn't anything I could do about it, you see. But I had begun the service with the statement uh, to these people who were, uh, they were all fairly, uh, they seemed like they, they were very decent, respective, uh, respectable, conservative uh, uh, families. And, uh, and I'd said, uh, maybe somewhat apologetically, because I didn't know if they'd ever heard a service like this, uh, this will be a New Age service. <laughs> and I'm sure they were wondering whether they were going to have to do this too. <laughs> now, I wanted to let go of it quickly, and so what I did was that when the photographer asked if he could take my picture with, I had already snuck off and corrected the mistake. You have to correct the mistake if I've left that out. You correct the mistake, then you must let go of it quickly. So I, he said, uh, could I take a picture with you and the bride and the groom? And so we were standing up there and he was having a hard time getting uh, the bride and groom to smile. Do you know the feeling right after you got married? <laughs> so... See, we're conflicted about everything, and so we're conflicted about getting married and everything else. Now, it so happened that this couple, in my eyes, seemed like a really very, very good match, and they'd worked very hard, and I felt very, very good about the marriage, and and they weren't smiling and so forth. And so, uh, with my arms around them, I told them about my fly being unzipped. <laughs> And, of course, they smiled. Photographer <laughs> he clicked right away. And what they said was, oh, this, this just makes it. This is just wonderful. We'll be able to tell this story for years. <laughs> but I, it somehow made the whole thing okay. It wasn't quite the tragedy that I thought it was. Don't let the day become your enemy as you go about your spiritual program. So you will have a program. You will have maybe ten points like the woman that I discussed last Sunday. Or maybe you'll just have one or two. None of this matters. What matters is that you've decided to make the effort. That you've decided to put into practice what you personally believe is the best way for you to walk home. And you're going to begin your walk today. And over and over and over, as the events of the day begin to crowd on you, and everything seems more important than your walk home, you choose again. No, I would rather walk home now than be angry at this person, than worry about this thing I can't do anything about. No, I would rather spend the time walking home. Now, it's very difficult if your spiritual program has certain things for you to do in the morning, and this is, in fact, a very, very fine thing for you to have certain things to do in the morning because it sets a tone for the day. And so, of course, you want to turn your thought to God in the clearest, most peaceful way that you can, and you want to do it as quickly as you can in the morning before your mind begins to fill up with irrelevancies. But if something happens, something intervenes so that you cannot do the things that you thought that you needed to do, maybe you didn't get enough sleep the night before, or maybe the phone rings very early and it's someone taking a survey. Uh, and now it's as if the whole day has become your enemy. It is not necessary for your mind to obey your body. So if you're tired or if your body seems to be irritated or hungry or whatever it may be, 
Notice that this does not call for certain thoughts. There is an assumption that we all carry around with us that because we feel a certain way, we must think certain thoughts. And so we mistake tiredness, for example, for irritation. Or we mistake late in the day tiredness for discouragement. And so we think discouraging thoughts because we are tired. We are irritated or we're sharp or we or we answer, uh, we snap at someone because we are, for example, physically tired. Or because our body is agitated, we act in a certain way and then think that we must think in a certain way. Notice that your mind is totally free. And you can acknowledge that your body needs sleep. And, of course, you will get sleep as quickly as you can. And if you can do something to rest your body right then, you do it. Or your body is sick or you have a headache or whatever. And, of course, you take care of that as quickly as you can. But if, in your, if you're in a position where that's not possible, then notice that your mind is free. Your mind can always turn to God, no matter what your body is calling out to you to do. Someone suggested that we have a box at the dispensable church for thoughts we want to dispense with. Maybe this could be put out in the lobby and, you know, we'll, we could have a little ceremony. We would burn these. And maybe even pass it. All the thoughts you want to dispense with. There is no thought you must carry with you once the day has begun. No matter how badly it has begun, the day does not have to become your enemy. Your mind is free. Begin again. So the overall temptation in beginning a spiritual program is to do something either too soon, you're not ready to do it, but you put it on your program, but you're not ready to do it, and you can tell you're not ready to do it because there's a sense of sacrifice about it, of loss, of giving up, or to do too much, to have too many things in your spiritual program. And you can tell this quickly if you've done this, and you must cut back if you've done this or to do things too quickly. To rush through your meditation. To rush through your prayer. To rush through the thing. As if it, getting it done were the thing. It's not getting it done. It's doing it. That's the song. So too much, too soon, too quickly. Too much, too soon too quickly. Would you say that? Too much, too soon, too quickly. Those are the three temptations that you want to watch out for on a spiritual path. One other thing I want to mention, which I've talked about before, but seems very, very important. You see, there were eight people that I know of that started a spiritual program after our talk last Sunday. And there's not many people who can get through to me. And so I figured that, that maybe, maybe a lot of people did that. They'd worked out their own program. They had made the points and so forth. And of this group, most of them had decided something that I did not mention. It was a wonderful thing. They had decided to report to someone every day, someone with whom they could be honest and must be honest. This was an excellent idea. They just picked a friend and they asked the friend, may I report to you? And the friend, of course, was doing the, the program, not the same program, their own program. And so they would just check in and they would say how they're doing. Now, if you do not have someone with whom you can do this with comfort and ease that would not receive this gladly you're reporting into them then of course you don't have to have that this is not an essential but one thing I think is essential and I have not yet seen an exception although I'm sure there are exceptions to this is that you must have a time of renewal in your uh, spiritual day because people get discouraged as they go through the day 
and you will lose it. Back in the days when I used to watch television, this is before I used to stand on a platform several feet above people, um, there was an ad on TV, I don't know if it's still on there, about Mitchum's deodorant. And there was a guy that would sit in bed and said, I haven't had a bath for three days. Is that ad still on TV? No, you don't watch TV. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Your spiritual efforts will not last for three days. It will be more like three hours. There was another one, uh, my hair spray lasts longer than I do or something. That's not true on a spiritual path. Your ego will tell you it should last longer than it's lasting. Just see how long it lasts. Take an inventory. How long does it last? Schedule a break right then, a time of renewal. Do not be afraid of routine. Do not be afraid to organize your life. I cannot stress this enough because there is this mistaken belief that to be on a spiritual path means that you do everything spontaneously. You're asking for trouble. The more spontaneity you leave up in the air. Now, it's all right to be spontaneous within your routine. So, for example, when I swim my laps, swimming is something I dearly enjoy. It's, it, I have wonderful memories about it from childhood. And so I don't count laps and I, I change my stroke whenever I wish. Do all kinds of silly strokes, you know. And uh, But I'd swim every morning. You see, my routine is I swim every morning and I swim about the same length of time. Gail does too. Now, other people need to have... Uh, a certain need to count laps. There's, need to, there's no right or wrong about the counting of the laps. But do not be spontaneous and just leave it up in the air and think you somehow should be able to do this. See if you, in fact, are doing it. Are you pulling this off? <clears throat> and if you need to begin regulating very gently your sleep or your periods of, of uh, withdrawal into meditation, or your diet, or your contacts with friends? Do you need to cut back on the number of social events that you have during the week? How many times are you going out? It is not, it is not being, uh, you're not giving up freedom when you see that you do not do well if you go out every night. You just see that. Now, you can still allow yourself the freedom to decide each night whether or not you will go out, but now you have seen this, and so seeing it, you look at it as you make your decision, and you make your decision in peace, not thinking somehow you ought to be able to go out every night. There are many more things that we can talk about in a spiritual path, but it can all be summed up by simply saying that all you have to do, all that we're talking about, is being happy. The, uh, the bell of belly laughs. The bell of belly laughs. That's all we're talking about. The horn of happiness. Did you hear the horn of happiness? Ah. <laughs> this is what we're talking about, you see. So what are you striving for as you go through the day? That's all you're striving for. So don't ask if you're doing it. It's right. Don't worry about it. Don't rake over it. Don't analyze it. Just blow your horn and ring your bell. And as long as you can blow your horn and ring your bell, you're walking home. In this meditation, it's actually three 
one-minute meditations. You are quite likely to feel a resistance from your ego to be silent for a minute. But just remind your ego how absurd it is that three minutes, broken up into one-minute segments, could actually be a burden. Isn't it silly? And so you don't have to do anything about your ego's irritation with a minute of silence. And what do you do in this minute of silence? All that you do is that you become as much like God as you possibly can. And don't worry whether you're doing it right or what that means. There are some words here to guide you. And of course you know you are already like God, but the meditation is designed to trigger an ancient memory within you. And perhaps you will, on this day, feel a little of the peace of God. So once again, I will ask the question, and if you will respond. How can I be one with God? One with God, you must be like God. Become so like God that you no longer know where you end and God begins. What is God? God is still and quiet and wholly at rest. God is peace. Let us then be still a moment and know peace. What is God? God is love. All that I am, God loves. And everything within me loves God. Let us then be empty of all judgment and no love. What is God? God is joy. His delight with everything knows no bound. Because God is, I am happy. Let our hearts and minds now fill with the joy of God. God is one. God is now. Nothing else matters. From this moment on, in happiness and peace, and love, let us be one with God. Invite to stay if you'd like. Uh, someone, one of you brought some good things to eat, I understand. So uh, you can just sit there quietly if you want to, or you can go back in the back room and partake. Thanks for coming. <laughs>